if you're like me and you're older and you like just stay at home on Saturday nights to see if Alabama's going to get a commitment, well, they did just that. And I just saw it on the own three YouTube page. Hope you did too. It was Caleb Bolden. It's a big deal. You are locked on Bama, your daily podcast on the Alabama Crimson Tide, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey again, everybody, and welcome back into Locked On Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me, Jimmy Stein, that's him. Thanks for making this your first listen. And Jimmy, we just got a commitment from Caleb Odom. Alabama fans love themselves a tight end. Well, we just got us one. <coughs> wow. <laughs> I'm so excited, I can barely speak. Now, Caleb is a, uh, you know, he's the number two tight end prospect nationally in the on three industry ranking. I compare him to... Uh, O.J. Howard, Amari Nablack, big-time kid. Uh, I'm just glad you threw Howard in there after you said O.J. That's, <laughs> that's all. Uh, but, yeah, you look at him right there. He's uh, six foot four, 220 pounds. I mean, look, here's another picture of him right here for those that are on the YouTube channel. He, he's a little thin. I'm not going to deny. He's a little thin. Um, but, you know, He's one of those go up and get it guys. Let me let me tell you right. guys something that's fun. I don't normally say this about a football commitment. If you want to get excited about Caleb Odom, go to YouTube and type in Caleb Odom basketball. This man <laughs> lives dunker. above the rim. He loves to dunk on people and embarrass people. And a little, um, bit, of Nick, a little bit of Nick Pringle in that guy. He really does. I mean, it's sort of like a dunks it really hard, then hangs on the rim you know, tests its strength, um, has people under him that are embarrassed and they give up basketball almost immediately. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a dude, man. And it, his football highlights are pretty doggone good too. He will go up and get the ball. Um, he is, he is much more of a weapon. Now, again, I'm going to put his picture up one more time. He doesn't look like he's, he's a, what we'd call a blocker. This isn't Trent right. McCall, you know, Steve Buskey, for people who remember old-school Alabama tight ends. Steve Buskey, that's pretty good. Uh, no, really, uh, you know, you mentioned his stand. You showed his, uh, his, his photo. Uh, at the same – he is 6'4", 220 per, per the On3 database, 6'4", 220, right? Well, at the time – the day he committed to Alabama, O.J. Howard was listed as 6'5", 221. Uh, Amari Nyblack was listed at 6'4", 220. And Amari Nyblack, just this week, he's only been on campus 18 months. Amari uh, put up on his Instagram page that he was up to 240. He's only been here 18 months. So Caleb Odom is not a wide receiver prospect that you're like, hey, let's just feed him a bunch of peanut butter and see what happens. No, I mean, there's a lot that goes into whether you're what, – what position you're going to play. You know, your positional – uh, you know, your, you know, in terms of like your positional versatility, your positional uh, projectability is probably the best word. Uh, and it's thought by all of these schools, everyone recruited Caleb Odom as a tight end. So it's thought that he's going to gain considerable weight when he's in college. He's got that sort of frame, that sort of DNA, that sort of family history where it thought that he's going to end up being a 235, 245 pound player. So the fact that he's 220 right now doesn't really mean a lot to Alabama, nor any of these schools that recruited him. Everyone recruited him as a tight end. 
And of course, you know, as to whether he's going to be a great player or not, a lot of that's going to depend on, you know, how his game translates to playing a physical position at the line of scrimmage. Uh, we all know he can line up wide and catch the ball, and that's why he's per on three industry ranking, the number two tight end prospect in America. Uh, and it'll be up to him to gain some weight, gain some mass, become a good blocker at the line of scrimmage. But O.J. Howard did it. Amari Knobloch's in the process of doing it. Here's another guy out of the blue, not an Alabama guy, but those of you who watch the NFL. How about this, Luke? At the same eight, at the same stage, Mark Andrews of the Baltimore Ravens, who was an Oklahoma Sooners All-American, 6'4", 215, at the day he committed to Oklahoma. And uh, so Caleb Odom's real similar build similar prospect to those guys let's just hope it worked out, works out as good for Caleb as it did for OJ and uh, Mark Andrews both of whom were uh, first round picks in the NFL draft a couple of things first of all I, would, I did watch it on the own three YouTube page they did a marvelous job I'm, I'm not just a shill for the company Jimmy is a shill for the company. Right. I just right. <laughs> I just echo what Jimmy said no I actually watched it and they did a fantastic job um, they actually even took a little shot at Auburn, which I, the host, I forget the host name, but uh, he said, you know, of the uh, Caleb Odom went on five official visits and only one of the five not to make the top five was Auburn. So, I mean, hey, he's going to get some extra credit in my book for that. Um, secondly, I am not impressed with Amari Nyblack gaining 20 pounds in 18 months. I've gained 20 pounds since March. That's no big deal, Amari. I do it all the time, buddy. Um and then here, Charles Power was interviewed, and uh, he does a great job, too. Uh, he used a term that it just made – I mean, I, I've heard it before, okay? But I just – I don't know. It just made me think, uh, is there a reason you're not calling him tight end? It's almost like he said this as a position. He called him a jumbo pass catcher. Now yeah. – and, and I, that's what he is. If you just, if he's If Charles was just being literal and saying – this guy's pretty tall and pretty big and he catches the ball. Okay. That's very fair. But if he was saying it more like, you know, he's a tight end, but he's not really a tight end and he's not really a wide receiver too. Um, he's not certainly not a slot, but we can put maybe put him in the slot and throw him. You know, there, there, it just seems like um, he's one of those new hybrids that is kind of hard to put a label on. Yeah, I like uh, the hybrid. Exactly. I think you nailed it. Uh, look, this year, and this is how relevant this is to Alabama, right? Look, uh, I think under Tommy Reese, Alabama's going to play a lot of two tight end sets. We've done it throughout the Nick Saban era. It's not brand new, but it's going to be an emphasis under Tommy Reese, multiple tight ends on the field at the same time. Generally, when that happens, to get all X's and O's on you guys, one plays what, what, what coaches refer to as the Y position, that is a tight end that lines up on the line of scrimmage next to the tackle. It's what we're all used to. It's all what we think of when we hear tight end. The guy that lines up on the line of scrimmage outside the tackle shoulder and basically almost acts partly as a third tackle, but he's also an eligible receiver. Well, there's another tight end position in the Alabama offense, and this isn't you know unique to Alabama, but it's what Alabama does, that Alabama calls the H position. That's a second tight end that you move around. It can be a chess piece. That tight end could line up in the backfield, line up as a slot receiver, line up as a fullback. You move him around. You try to get him open. You try to find like some sort of mismatch when the other team gets a linebacker on him. That's how Alabama often played O.J. Howard. It's how Alabama's playing with Amari Knobloch now. And I think that's where Caleb Odom projects for Alabama, an H guy that you move around 
trying to find mismatches. Now, here's the deal. You can't make it a tell. You can't say, well, when the big tight ends in, Alabama's going to run the ball. When the little tight ends in, Alabama's going to throw the ball. If you make it that simple, uh, even, you know, uh, the most elementary of opposing coaches can figure you out. So you got to mix it up, and, and you have to be versatile. So for Caleb Odom to be a great player at Alabama, yeah, he's going to be the move tight end. But you got to gain considerable weight and mass and be a real tight end and be a threat as a run blocker so, you, so he can get on the field. But that, that's exactly how to describe Caleb Odom, a move tight end, a chess piece. And uh, I, I like the comps to O.J. Howard. I think it's real, you know, it's, it's accurate. But the best comps are to Amari Nyblack. He's on the team now. He hasn't had a chance to be a hugely productive player yet, but I think we all predict that for Amari over the next two or three years. Caleb's real similar to him. Amari had an interesting tweet today. He said, I've always been a dog. I was just a puppy last year or something like that. That's kind of funny. Um, Jimmy, I need to tell everybody – I need to tell everybody about FanDuel now. You need to go out there and take your first swing at betting on Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets. That's up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. And you know what? If I were you, I'd go bet on the Braves because even though I hate them, they keep winning. They're never going to lose again. It's just free money at FanDuel if you take the Braves, apparently, allegedly. That's $200. You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to have the first home run or strikeout or whatever. FanDuel's got all these fun side bets you can do. Go check it out. It's on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. That is awesome. For anybody out there who's ever gambled, you know this. You know how cool it is to get paid instantly. That's a big deal. There's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel is an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, Jimmy, uh, the rest of the week, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, your countdown, I'm sure. But, you know, we can't escape recruiting in July. And for me, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, some buddies of mine and I are going to do, uh, going to try and put something together where we just focus on recruiting in the state of Alabama because we're the, we're the AHSA radio network. And there are a lot of guys in Alabama, you know, of course, the state always has a lot of great players. But there are a lot of guys that get overlooked because Alabama and, and maybe Auburn aren't necessarily going after them, but some other teams are. And I love to see those guys make it big. So we're going to talk more about that uh, as the weeks go on. But got a lot of announcements coming up. William Sanders will be committing soon. Uh, Demarcus Riddick will be committing, I think it's July 26th. I think so. Um, Jamie French is next Saturday. Now, that's a 2025 guy, but still, it counts. Amari Jefferson is early August. Um, that's a lot of guys. And then another guy has announced when he will announce, and that's Daniel Hill, who will be in sort of late August, it looks like. Um, of all those guys that I've just mentioned, I mean, let's let's not put William Sanders in there. We all think William Sanders will end up at Alabama. I mean, it'd be an upset at this point, right? Yeah, so our prediction of BOL is that William Sanders will uh, will commit to Alabama. That, but that's a prediction. 
we'll see. He's got a lot of good SEC offers. And I think to the, you know, the local kids get a lot of short shrift when it comes to recruiting because people assume so much. He's a kind of a Tuscaloosa area kid. He's got the Alabama offer. He's been a high priority for Alabama. So I think that that sort of gets less publicity, right? But uh, but on three ranks, William Sanders now on three does as the I think the number 111 prospect in the whole country. So it's, it's a pretty big deal regardless of where he's from. But uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's one that I think a lot of uh, Alabama fans are confident about. But we'll see, and we'll we'll see very soon. Uh, that's coming up. So of the other guys I've mentioned, let's talk Amari Jefferson, Jamie French, Demarcus Riddick, Daniel Hill. No, who do you feel most confident about? And secondly, who do you want the most out of that force? Well, that's a great question. Uh, you know, in terms of confidence and want the most, uh, I'll be greedy and go Jamie French. Now, Jamie French is 2025. He's not 2024. So everybody needs to understand that, that this is next year's kid. But he's ranked extremely high. As a matter of fact, he's ranked similarly to Ryan Williams the wide receiver from Fairland that's already committed to Alabama as part of the 2025 class. You add Jamie French to Ryan Williams in the 25 group. That, that, that could be one of the great duos of the great twosomes to commit to Alabama in one cycle ever. I mean, you're talking about two of the top 20 prospects maybe in the whole country, regardless of position. They're both wide receivers. Jamie French from the Jacksonville, Florida area. I think he's a Mandarin high school over there. Uh, so I, I'm going to pick French just based on the fact he's the most highly rated guy. But honestly, again, greedy. I, I like all of them. Daniel Hill from Meridian High School, Meridian, Mississippi. Alabama's got a long history of signing good players out of Meridian. Big back, big, strong, move the chains guy. Uh, excited about him. Uh, William Sanders, the offensive lineman we already talked about. Demarcus Riddick committed to Georgia now. Now that's some real drama. At BOL, you know, we, we feel like that that's likely Alabama today, but there's some real drama there. Uh, currently committed to Georgia, likely to flip. Maybe Alabama, maybe Auburn. Uh, that That's one we're just going to have to uh, hold our breath on with him. Uh, but, boy, a lot of big announcements coming up. And July has turned into, like we talked about the other day, Luke, uh, when me and you were growing up back in the – Dinosaur age, and we'd ride our, our T-Rex to school. Uh, January was the big recruiting month because it was one month before the February signing day. It's really turned into July because of the changes in the recruiting calendar. So that's why it seems like every time we have a show, now we're talking about the next guy to commit. Yeah, and I, I love it this way. I do, personally, because it gives us a lot more time to focus on the season when the season is actually going on, I, I think the coaches probably like it too. Now there's probably a lot about the recruiting calendar. Most coaches don't like, but I, I kind of dig this. If you, uh, I guess I should preface it. I dig it. If you're having a good July, if you're not having a good July, it probably sucks. Right. <laughs> well, well, they have no uh, real lives or vacation time. That's true. <laughs> well, um, I mean, July typically in the old days, July is when they had their time off. And, and I think that still is the case, by the way, that even though as these guys are committing, a lot of our coaches are on vacation, there's no other time to do it. I mean, you can't – obviously, once August through December, that's out, right? And February is signing day, so January's out. And March and April is spring practice, so that's out. May, you're on the road recruiting. And I think I just explained in 45 seconds why every assistant coach in the country that coaches college football is dying to get in the NFL – 
The only head coach I've ever heard of taking a, a vacation in the middle of a season is Brian Harson. <laughs> now, I know he didn't literally take one. It just felt like he did. But, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, it's a Holly paid one. A Holly paid one, yeah. Now he's getting paid. He's on paid vacation forever. So, pretty good gig. Uh, all right, Jimmy, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about Tennessee's penalties. And we're back. So, Tennessee was staring down the barrel of a gun, Jimmy. Uh, again, another early Bama reference for those who are very young watching this. But, all right. And, and at first, when everything came out, I felt like th- this was good. I didn't, I didn't hear the part about the scholarships. 28 scholarships. Yeah. Now, I don't know how those all break down. I mean, you can probably tell me a little more. And like 36 few or 38 fewer visits or something. 28 scholarships seems like a lot. The $8 million, that penalty, that's what got my attention, though. Not because I think that's so much money for Tennessee, but because, yes, yes, this is what I've been clamoring for forever. This is how, if you have something, if you have a rule you don't want universities breaking, find them. Don't vacate wins, which, by the way, I just, like, read that this is something else. Like, apparently, this is coming out in a slow trip. They're vacating some wins. They only had 11 wins. They're vacating their handful of wins, yes. I mean, it's so stupid. First of all, you played the game. The game was played. I'll say this again. It's stupid to do that. The game was played, and you cheapen whoever was on that team. You you cheapen the whole moment. You cheapen the the fans' experience. It's like it just didn't happen. Um, but they they I was happy that they find them. Now here's my thing. I would probably say okay instead of doing the twenty eight scholarships because here's my thing. You're depriving kids of an opportunity to go to a university. I don't want to do that. It's you. College is too expensive. I'm paying for one right now. If my son couldn't go to Arizona State because they were like, sorry, son, we got to start cutting some scholarships. And I know this is all very hypothetical. Just bear with me. We got to start cutting some scholarships because we just got penalized by the NCAA. It would bother me. I mean, it's it's not you're not hurting Arizona State. You're hurting my son. And so if you want to punish the people that did the wrong thing, hit them in their pocketbook and not that, that'll do two things. That'll punish the right people, and it'll dang sure be a deterrent. Because if you ever want to get me to stop doing something, charge me for it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, and and true, and I like to find, Stu, I've always said, uh, vacating wins is just, it's incredibly dumb. I mean, it, it's just, it, it, it's no penalty. It's no penalty, and it insults everyone. By the way, uh, when you've rented hotel rooms, and you went to the game that weekend, and you bought tickets, and you bought your tailgate food and you spent your whole time uh do you get your money back when that when when that when that win is vacated we we all saw the game we all saw that it's just so ncaa dumb i do like the fines much better i will say though there the the rhyme and reason behind these fines is tennessee famously as part of their penalties luke did not get a bowl ban uh which is typical when the ncaa brings the hammer down and they did in this case there's there's a big hammer here Typically, that involves uh, a bowl ban, like you can't go to a bowl. Uh, the NCAA didn't do that, but by fining Tennessee eight million, that figure is traced to this. It's estimated that in the past two bowl seasons, Tennessee has profited roughly eight million dollars by making bowls. 
So they're basically giving back the bowl money that they've made the past two years, and that's where the $8 million fine comes from. The 28 lost scholarships is a big penalty. The loss of official visits is a big penalty. But real quickly, for those Alabama fans that are as old as Luke and I, you know, who, who kind of grew up with black and white photos, that's how old we are. But those who grew up, uh, you know, and went through those Alabama penalties back in 2002, here's a huge difference. When Alabama was under investigation and ended up losing over 20 scholarships as a result of the 2002 investigation, Alabama had a really difficult time recruiting quality players through that period, both prior, during the investigation and when the sanctions were announced. Well, during this investigation, what happened? NIL. And Tennessee, smartly, I'm not, I'm not uh, criticizing at all, Tennessee has a very ambitious and aggressive NIL program, which included the first most famous NIL payment to the quarterback, Nico Imaliva from California, who's now a freshman at Tennessee, reportedly, and I'm using quotation marks, reportedly paid as much as $8 million. Because of how aggressive Tennessee is in NIL, they did not suffer any sort of downturn in their recruiting during the investigation or the sanctions because now we have NIL and now Tennessee can do these things legally. So they were quite aggressive. And I think the overall impact of these sanctions on the University of Tennessee won't be nearly as severe as they were on Alabama back in roughly 2002. Uh, they are significant as it relates to Jeremy Pruitt, who was that coach at Tennessee, given a six-year show cause. Uh, uh, how about this? When our people say, hey, that's unprecedented, they didn't read the whole order. The recruiting director at Tennessee during that period of time that Jeremy was there in the same order was given a 10-year show cause. <laughs> so uh, other assistant coaches were given multiple, uh, two di different assistants were given three-year show causes. So they really came down hard on the coaches that were specifically named in the order and now anyone uh, anticipating Jeremy Pruitt uh, being part of the Alabama football staff soon uh, it, it doesn't appear on the surface that that's going to happen no I, and and look I I was for it for a while when all the NIL stuff happened I was like hey it's sort of legal but now I think he's kind of untouchable um, and I, I think if I, if ever was up in the air about it I think Alabama made the right call there um, but again I want to reiterate that I hate punishments. Like, you know, I, I hear a lot of Auburn folks complain about 93 where they weren't on TV. You know who that really hurt? Everybody who was playing Auburn. Because right. if, especially if it was in Auburn, you didn't get to go see your team. And so that those are the kind of punishments that NCAA needs to think about and say, oh, wait a minute. Are we really, who are we really hurting here? We're, we're hurting kids when we take away scholarships. We're hurting other fans when we take away TV. Um, so what's the best thing we can do? What's the one constant? The one constant is that Tennessee was there and they're still there. So you can punish them, put, give, make them pay money. And that's, here's my only question. Maybe you know this, Jimmy, where does the money go? Uh, when they're fined, uh, by the NCA, it goes to the NCA and then distributed to NCA charities. Uh, the, the NCA does not pocket that money. I know some people think, oh, this is the NCA's way of the NCAA does not pocket money that they find schools for. It's it's dispersed primarily to, to charities. But this is this is my thing, and I don't think this will ever happen, probably because it's too simple and makes too much logic, but the schools will never agree to this. 
but this should be what happens in the future when schools are caught violating competitive balance rules and a school has taken shortcuts or paid players like they shouldn't, they should be fined. They should, it should never be vacating wins. It should never be, Hey, you can't play on TV. It should never be, you can't offer scholarships to children that need them. That's crazy. This should be what happens. Tennessee, if you violate the rules and you break the rules because you're making shortcuts, you're going to be fined and the money is going to go to the collectives of your conference brethren. So like you broke the rules. Now you're, we're finding you the $8 million and that money is going to be divided equally between all the other schools in the SEC and paid to their collective to help them recruit against you. And, and I think that sort of thing, it, 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 it's just a proper type of deterrence. That's a real deterrence. I bet you are like, we broke the rules and now we got to help Alabama and Auburn and LSU recruit. That's yeah, funny. exactly. That's funny. I think uh, that'd be funny because, like, they're they're doling out the money. You know, Alabama, here's your collective money. A&M, here's your collective money. Georgia, here's yours. And Vanderbilt goes, yeah, Um, if we don't have a collective, can we just use it for beer money? I mean, is that cool? Because we kind of don't have one. So, um, all right. That's going to do it for today. Uh, appreciate you guys. Thank you for making us your first listen. You guys are the best. We'll be back tomorrow evening, probably, because I got to drive to Pittsburgh. Yes, that one. And um, we'll be back then. Until then, roll tight, everybody. Roll tight.